Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Sean Moran of Sean Mo Hoops and one of our Inside Carolina contributors. Sean, how's the weather treating you out there on the West Coast, man? Everything going okay? Uh, no complaints out here. It's a little chilly by West Coast standards, but uh, that that I think anybody would take that these days, uh, especially looking at some of the snow on the East Coast. So no complaints, especially after yesterday's victory. Oh, I know. Every Tar Heel in the entire country and across the globe is still on cloud nine, I'm sure, right now. Uh, but just real quick, I actually saw a report that Malibu may got some snow, man. So uh, is it going to be like North Carolina where... You know, if there's a threat of ice, the entire city just basically shuts down and that's the end of it. Uh, it already shuts down if there's any inkling of rain. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if, if there's any snow, the, the whole city might go into uh, disaster mode. Nice. We'll buy bread and water and eggs and, you know, all the other perishable stuff that'll just go bad within a matter of days. So, you know, yeah, you know, people always say nobody knows how to drive when it rains, but that's definitely true out on the West Coast. Well, there's terrible drivers all over, but let's go ahead and talk about that Duke game, man, because that is still fresh on everybody's mind. And let me propose this question to you, Sean. If I had told you prior to the game that Kobe White was going to only go one for six from the three-point line, have six turnovers and three assists, would you have thought at all that Carolina would have been able to pull out a victory in Cameron just knowing Kobe's stat line? Just knowing Kobe's stat line, I I definitely would, you know, not have, it wouldn't have been out of the realm of possibilities, but it would have been tough. I thought Kobe, I thought he was going to have a good game and I thought he needed to have a good game. Uh, I thought he would be on Trey Jones, who everybody talks about for his defense. And I thought he'd be able to create for others. But as you mentioned, one for six from the three-point line, two for eight, from two, uh, you know, six turnovers. So he was, he was definitely bothered by the atmosphere and, and Jones's defense and just kind of his first experience in Cameron and, you know, did not have his, his best game, but luckily seventh woods came off the bench and, and played some meaningful minutes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of other factors that went into the game, but just going on, on Kobe's stat line, I would have thought it would have been a, a very uphill battle. Yeah, I was right there with you. You know, going into the game, uh, Tommy Ashley, Greg Barnes, and Ross Martin, they did their pregame pod, and all three of them talked about how important three-point shooting would be for the Tar Heels in this game, and I completely thought so as well. But it turned out this ended up being an old-school Carolina style where the Heels just scored inside over and over and over again, often very easily. And Duke shot from the outside, but they only went eight for 39. I thought that they had attempted 43s, but the ESPN box score I'm looking at now only shows them as 39. But, you know, Duke just missed shots. Carolina made theirs and pounded the paint. So how surprised were you to see that develop, knowing how reliant Carolina has been on the three-point shot at various times throughout this season? Definitely surprised at the the two for twenty. Uh, I don't, you know. Hopefully, we don't see that going forward. And there's definitely some times where, especially in the first half, you're watching the action back and forth, and it's just each side can't hit a bucket. Um, so definitely surprised about the two for twenty. In terms of the inside play, uh, not 
fully surprised. I mean, one, obviously Zion is out. So there goes a defensive presence. And you have Marquise Bolden, uh, former five-star center, who has really just never found his groove at Duke three years in. And then you have Javin Delorier coming off the bench, who another four-star player. But none of those guys are really, you know, while Bolden is big and has a big presence, not really somebody you're really afraid of, of attacking. Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of funny to look at Duke playing UVA and UNC playing UVA and UNC playing Duke. And against UVA with the pack line defense, UNC was just completely walled off uh, from the paint really at the beginning. And for Duke, they will get up on you more so in man-to-man. And while Trey Jones is a really good on-ball defender, They've always been very susceptible to penetration and kickouts and drives for easy baskets. So, um, you know, I definitely thought Carolina had an advantage that way. And I know going into the game and still after the game, Duke was a, a top five defense on, on Ken Palm, but they just presented a different, you know, different defensive scheme than, than UVA, which Carolina usually struggles with. Um, and, and Duke, I feel, you know, players such as Seventh Woods or Nate Britt in the past, um, they've always been able to have good games because they can get in the lane and it's more of kind of a, a free-flowing style. When you're talking about that Blue Devil defense, Sean, it's obviously predicated on being up in your man and what a lot of fans have described as, you know, being very hands-on. And I thought for the most part, <laughs> though, when it came to the, yeah, I know, hands-on there with a sometimes a little bit over, we'll, we'll put it that way. but. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that to lead into the officiating this game just real quick. I thought overall that the refs kind of let the guys play. There were a couple times that I thought Carolina did get fortunate possibly with a couple of the charge calls, but you know, give Kenny Williams a huge amount of credit for being in the right spot to, to draw those. But still, I thought that the refs overall really just did not seem – to try to have that over impact on the game as you sometimes will see officials have in this Duke Carolina game. So do you think that the fact that Carolina was able to really, you know, get into a flow, did that also play into the success that Luke May and Cam Johnson had just driving the ball inside over and over and over again? Yeah, I think 32 fouls overall. So I think, you know, a free flowing game. So both teams, uh, you know, I was kind of, I love looking at tempo stats and North Carolina is always up there, especially for a power five team. But this year they're playing at the fastest pace that any Carolina team has played at. Um, and, and really the fastest place pace since Roy Williams has played at since 2002. Uh, Duke, they're also playing for, uh, I guess for them at a fast pace. And once again, this is coach K's fastest team since 2002. Um, so in this game alone, 87 possessions, which was a high for UNC. And I think, you know, the refs not bogging the game down helped um, with that. And I think, you know, UNC's bench, Brandon Robinson, Seventh Woods, Naz Little, you know, none of them uh, were amazing points-wise, but they all had an impact. I mean, you kind of compare that to Duke, who right off the bat is really only seven deep. And here they lose a star player. And now you're putting Jack White in. And you're going to the bench with Delorier, Alex O'Connell, and, and Jordan Goldwire. And now Duke is in trouble. And now they're now RJ and Cam Reddish are are getting more tired. And, you know, they're taking a lot of shots. Trey Jones is having to take on more of the activity. And he goes one for 11. So 
I think just the up-tempo style, while both teams like to play it, and what we find out is is usually that that style favors Carolina. Yeah, and in this game, I absolutely thought that that was the case when you had Cam Johnson just absolutely taking Duke defenders one-on-one, scoring in a variety of ways, either putting the ball on the floor, pulling up for those jumpers. And let's just talk about him first before we get to, to Luke May's performance later on. I was so tremendously impressed with Cam tonight, I mean, or last night, because the poise he showed, and I thought that it was a situation where when Carolina was up by 15-plus in the second half, Duke made a couple runs, and to me, I was sitting there at home getting worried that, man, if Duke is able to get this game under 10 points, Carolina may let this one slip away like they have when they've had late leads in Cameron over the last few years. But I thought that Cam really came through. I think he had the one pull-up jumper when Duke had cut it to 12 or 13 that ended a run. Talk about his performance and what you really saw from him last night. I mean, not just last night, but overall, he's been absolutely amazing um, over the year. And you think going back to last year, he was injured, you know, really through all the non-conference play, uh, minus a few games at the end of December. And then he really started playing in, in January and was still banged up and, you know, was trying to get into a, a new system and a new flow. And, you know, he, he struggled shooting the ball early on. And, and for the year, he only finished at 34%, which was a big, big drop off. But anytime he shot the ball, just his form and how the shot looks, it, he's one of those guys where you're happy, you know, when he's taking shots, because every, every time he takes it, you think it's going to go in fast forward to this year. And he is destroying the ACC in terms of offensive rating. Uh, I think it's at around 135, which is four more points than Zion. So uh, throughout the year, he's been fantastic. As you mentioned, he hit some big shots. He didn't hit a three-pointer, which, once again, going back to the stats you said about Kobe, if you said, you know, Cam's going to go 0 for 4 from the three-point line, you're, you're going to say, oh, wow, you know, <laughs> that that spells trouble, especially after he went 7 for 10 against Wake Forest. But he was able to do, you know, do the, the up for the pick and rolls and, and slash to the basket. One thing this year, it looks like he's gotten, you know, a tad quicker, you know, still not the quickest guy. And that's really the biggest knock keeping him kind of in that late second round draft slot, uh, you know, potentially early second round. Uh, but I think the quickness and his confidence, just being able to do more than shoot, um, you know, taking the ball, to the basket off the dribble, straight line drives, um, you know, it has really added a dimension to his game. And, Another part is just kind of feeling comfortable with the offense a year under his belt, you know, a senior senior player. And and to me, he's been been out of this world. And and I think Sherelle was talking about this yesterday, but but what a you know recruit it was because UNC missed on mm-hmm. some five stars and Kevin Knox in particular. And now here you are with a guy that already has two seasons of college play under his belt, and and now he comes in and you get two more seasons of him at a very high level. And then Carolina's other senior, Luke May. I mean, what more can you really say about Luke at this point? You know, there were some chants or some players were poking at Luke May that, hey, you were a walk-on, you were unranked, you know, we're five-star guys. And, I mean, Luke just, he punked them. Let's just call it what it is, 30 and 15 and only two turnovers. The shooting and just the way that he was able to take control of the inside, I mean, 
White on Duke had absolutely no chance at stopping May. May just abused him around the rim all night long. But the turnover, Sean, I think that's what was the biggest thing to me is that Luke was able to get into his zone and he didn't have some of those just boneheaded plays that we have seen from him at some points over the year. He just was focused, man. And I don't really know what else I can say about it other than, wow. Yeah, I mean, he was was really focused. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of the pregame discussion was, oh, God, how does, you know, who's going to match up with, with Zion? Can Can Luke guard him? And then on the offensive end, you know, will Luke play like he did against Virginia, where going against the length and athleticism of DeAndre Hunter obviously bar, uh, bothered him. Um, and then, you know, really you had that first play and Zion slips and nobody really knows, you know, he, he's on the ground, he fell, but no, nobody knows what's going on. And Luke gets the ball, the steal, pushes it, gets the assist. And then, you know, it was really game on from that point. Obviously, when, when Zion goes out, you go from, you know, one of the best players in college basketball to a, a tremendous drop off in, in Jack White. And I'm sure Luke May's eyes just lit up at that point. Uh, you know, I think it would have been interesting to watch him and Zion match up and, and hopefully we get to see that uh, at Chapel Hill in a few weeks. But, um, you know, if Zion had been on him, I think Luke could have still had success, um, you know, going around screens and getting his shot off while Zion is extremely athletic, doesn't offer that same length as um, DeAndre Hunter. But yeah, when you had Jack White, you know, it was basically like you have an All-American going against a guy that really shouldn't be in the game. And Luke May played like, you know, the preseason All-American he was. And some of the things that really caught my eye were how efficient he was in his movement of catching the ball on the wing sometimes. Uh, I think it was in the first half, one or two dribbles on the left um, left baseline and a quick pass under the basket. Uh, so it was plays like that and, and just catching soft touch uh, quick, not really forcing the issue a whole lot, which I think uh, he's definitely done this year at times. But, you know, 13 from 20, for from two and, and one for four from three, 12 or 12 defensive rebounds, three offensive. And as you mentioned, two turnovers. So it was a great game. Um, and he, he definitely rose to the challenge and took advantage of the opportunity that was presented when you had a guy that had no business guarding him for, you know, 20, 30 minutes um, at that level. And then let's go ahead and wrap up the Duke talk, Sean, by giving a huge shout out to Carolina's bench. You mentioned them already, Seventh Woods how good he played, especially in that second half when Kobe did look like he got rattled just a little bit. And then Brandon Robinson, you know, and and Nasir Little, I thought both of them played some pretty good minutes. Brandon Robinson, especially down the stretch. He is just a type of player, man, where if you watch him on the court, he looks like he is so herky-jerky. He's out of control, but really, he is just such a hustle guy, and he knows where he needs to be. Two of his three-point shots, I mean, I thought they were going in. They came down and out. And he still finished the night, you know, with three rebounds, one steal, two assists, uh, four personal fouls. But I think that was just because the the refs did call a couple, what I thought were kind of ticky-tacky fouls. Um, Nasir, two points overall. I think it was just the moment got to him a little bit. I have no concerns about Nas moving forward. And then seventh Woods. I mean, just huge minutes, poise, drove to the basket, finished strong. So just give a quick shout out to, to the bench there. And you know, what did you observe uh, from those guys? 
Yeah, so let's start with Brandon Robinson. And he did not score in the game, 0 for 3 from the three-point line. But he's a guy that I think Roy finally trusts him. I think the fans trust him. Uh, as you mentioned, two of his shots, you know, look like they're going in. And when he's letting letting the ball fly, you know, as long as he's set, I feel pretty confident when he lets it loose. But he's not just a one-dimensional scorer. He, he's, he offers some length. Uh, you know, the rebounds, the assists, being in the right place at the right time. And I think his development is huge for UNC going forward um, you know, this year, as well as obviously next year when there's a lot of loss. But, you know, for a guy that didn't score, uh, you know, hasn't scored in double figures in, in ACC play, I think is one of the most important players uh, coming off the bench and, and definitely contributed in ways that the box score doesn't show. Uh, Naz Little. You know, I, I going into the game, I I thought he was going to have a good game because once again, I thought this was a type of game, unlike maybe a UVA where he could have excelled. Um, it's going to be a you know potential one-on-one situations, athleticism. I think you know he's going to get going up against the guys he did really well in at the McDonald's All-American game, and you know that that first jump shot that he hit the the bank shot, which was pretty ugly, uh, went in, and then the second <laughs> shot you know, was, was really close to going in. And I think off of that, there was an offensive rebound and, and a bucket. Uh, you know, I thought he had some some good passes, uh, obviously had some issues at times. And, you know, I thought he was going to have a really good game, but only played 11 minutes. Um, you know, I, I think it's still trying to figure out his role and, and kind of, you know, understand that he's the, the energy jo- ener- energy guy and can be really big on the boards, defense, and, you know, when he's only taking one or two dribbles offensively, he has an advantage, uh, usually when he's attacking the basket. But uh, it'll be really interesting to see how he does the, the second time around against those guys. Uh, and then you have Seventh Woods, who, you know, played great minutes and kind of brought me back to, I think it was Bobby Frazier or Wes Miller kind of coming off the bench and, and steadying the ship in, in some of those uh, Carolina Duke games when when Ty was a, a freshman. Um and seventh, you know, really was kind of that steadying factor. Uh, five points, three assists, that huge steal at the end of the first half and, and push up the floor to, you know, really have Carolina enter that that halftime with a lot of momentum, a lot of enthusiasm, um, and, and kind of defeated Duke a little bit because we've seen games in the past where, you know, if it's 10, 15 points, they've been able to storm back pretty quickly. Um, and they usually do that you know, at times at the start of the second half. Uh, but I thought he played really well and, and frustrated Trey um, as well. So a, a great effort. And I, I think, you know, seeing the eight, eight you know, eight deep um, is really important of having that depth, but not too much. Uh, you know, I know in the early part of the season, going 10, 11, playing the second team a lot of the time, which killed me, especially that Michigan game. But uh, some of those guys have really earned – Roy's trust, uh, especially on the road in, in Cameron. And and I'm not purposely leaving off talks about Brooks or Williams. I think that those two guys also had excellent games. But, you know, as I mentioned, Tommy Sherrell and Dewey Burke talked about those guys at length in their immediate postgame podcast. So do want to acknowledge the job they did. 
but really wanted to talk about kind of those other guys with you, Sean. Let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break. When we get back, let's go ahead and preview now Carolina's next opponent, which are the Florida State Seminoles when they come into Chapel Hill this Saturday. Looks like a game that Carolina should win on paper, but I don't know. We'll see, man. Let's go ahead and talk about that one when we get right back after this. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with Sean Moran talking UNC basketball. All right, so Sean, Florida State Seminoles coming into Chapel Hill Saturday, 3.45 p.m. Eastern time. The Florida State team, they have won eight in a row, so they are on a big-time hot streak right now. Now, Carolina also has a pretty good win-loss here. Their only loss over their last five was that UVA game in Chapel Hill. You know, when I'm looking over here on ESPN, they say that Carolina has above an 80% chance at winning this one. You know, I think Carolina should be favored, but mm, I don't know if I would say Carolina can really be relied on to win this game eight out of 10 times because, man, Florida State usually gives the, the Tar Heels some trouble. What about this year's version of the Seminoles? What have you seen from them? that you know you think could lead this to be a tougher matchup than what is apparently showing up on paper. Yeah, well, you know, for Florida State, they they started off one and four in, in ACC play and had that heartbreaking loss to Duke in, in early January and then went on the road to Pitt and BC, kind of two bottom dwellers of the conference and lost those. And I think it was up, okay, they're you know kind of write them off and Little by little, uh, you know, a lot of the teams they've been playing, the Georgia Techs, the Wake Forest, Clemson. Uh, so, you know, not the most daunting of teams, but at the same time, they've been winning. Uh, they beat Syracuse by 18 at Syracuse, which I know they have a, you know, kind of bipolar personality, but still a, a huge win. And then really battle back at home against Louisville and win that in overtime. And then once again, going on the road to Little John and and beating Clemson pretty well. So, you know, for Florida State, they'll probably be favored or um, an underdog or around eight points. Uh, I think one thing Carolina has going forward, and whether it's called football or basketball, I always love looking at the emotional angle, especially when it may come to a sports better too. But um, really, the emotional angle, you, you see UNC coming off a huge win at Duke. Um, and normally, you know, prone for a potential letdown, especially a game a few days later. But I think the fact that UNC was in control for so long of that game that while it was still a big win, uh, you know, they, they fully expected that win. And I think the celebration was definitely more subdued than it would have been if maybe Zion had been playing and it was a two point game. So I think that they were in the lead for, and really in control kind of helps that letdown factor, uh, you know, come, come Saturday, but for Florida state, as usual, they're, you know, they're an athletic team. Uh, you know, w- with size and, you know, we didn't go really into Garrison Brooks um, earlier, but once again, he's going to have to be a big factor. They've got, you know, two big guys between, uh, and I'm, I'm going to mispronounce both of these guys' name, but Christ Kamaji, the, the seven, four senior, and then um, definitely going to mispronounce, you know, Mafandu Kevin, Kevin Gali's name. So we'll just call him MK going forward, but he's that been one of the top. Me. Uh, he's been one of the top players in the ACC uh, over the last last few games, and his metrics are are, are pretty uh, pretty up there. 126 offensive rating, uh, one of the top guys uh, hitting the offensive boards. So 
you know, you combine those big guys and then you kind of have your, your Terrence Mann, who I feel like he's been around forever. Uh, MJ Walker, former five-star guard, PJ Savoy and, and Trent Forrest. So you have uh, a lot of talent, but I definitely think, you know, UNC is not going to go two for 20, knock on wood. And I think with a, a non 12 PM Eastern start that the crowd should be pretty good early on. And I would be, you know, once again, I, I don't see Florida state winning, but given the athleticism, um, I, I definitely see it being a, a challenging game uh, throughout. So to me, I think this game is going to come down to Kobe White, honestly, and I expect him to have a bounce back game in this one, Sean. You know, Kobe really showed out against Miami, which that was the Saturday that was a noon game, but the crowd for that one was awesome. I think that Carolina will likewise have a very good crowd this Saturday coming off of that Duke win. And I think that he is going to kind of be the deciding factor in this one because, you know, MK, as you mentioned, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name because I will butcher it. You know, I think that with his ability to shoot the three, I saw that he's shooting just under 40 percent, 39 and a half from three point overall this season. I think that he is going to be a little bit of a matchup issue. Florida State, Florida State's length, athleticism, and I mean, they just body people up. I think that that could frustrate Carolina when they try to get out and run. So to me, it falls to the point guard. I mean, Roy Williams teams, they often go how the point guard goes. And I think that Kobe is going to really focus and try to rebound from that performance that he had in Duke. What would you say would be the key to the game? Do you think that it does fall to Kobe or do you think that you know, guys like Cam Johnson just need to keep on playing at that extraordinary level that, that they have been showing so far in the ACC. I think we'll get the version, you know, the, the really good version of Kobe. You know, there's an interesting, and I don't have it off the top of my head, but an interesting stat in Mike Schmitz's ESPN kind of NBA draft-focused article on the UNC Duke game. And the splits between Kobe playing over 500 teams and under 500 teams was, was pretty interesting. And obviously Florida State is an over 500 team, but I think he'll... He'll be able to get his shot with a little more time than he did against Duke. You know, I think he probably, you know, really wanted to to go up against Trey Jones. Trey's always been been rated higher than him throughout high school. And, you know, even when talking about the top point guards in the class. So I'm sure there's probably some extra motivation on his end on Thursday night. But yeah, I think how he controls the game will be important. You know, I think Florida State, they rank in the top 100 in tempo. So they'll get up and go and as you mentioned, really athletic, especially those those wing guys. So I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll kind of want to get up and run. But you know, we've seen it before. Florida State, they're they shoot 34 percent from the three point line, ranking you know 200th in the in the country. And will it be somebody that that catches fire and and just has an out of body experience for them? You know, Terrence Mann shooting 46 percent, and David Nichols, one of the point guards, 35 percent. So they they do have some capable shooters. But I would agree about Kobe, you know, having a good game and really steadying the pace and kind of taking charge. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how Luke May does coming off of that big game and going against some guys with that size and athleticism that have given him problems in the past. And then on the defensive end, Garrison Brooks, you know how he does. I think he's been wonderful this season and, you know, probably the injury to to Sterling helped out instead of really playing both of them and seeing who was playing better and letting, you know, one of those play in the second half, he's 
been tasked with the main responsibility. And here you have this guy that, you know, sub four star recruited by the, the major conference or major teams and kind of comparing to Mark, Marquise Bolden, who was basically awful in the last game. So it's nice to see how he's developed. And I think, you know, with his size and strength, uh, will play a big part going up against the big guys of FSU. So when you're looking at the importance of this FSU game overall, you know, the Seminoles are ranked number 16 in the country right now. The Tar Heels got that huge win over number one Duke. They're building that resume for the ACC and NCAA tournament. I mean, we know that Roy doesn't place a whole lot of emphasis on the ACC tournament. Obviously, he plays to win. He, he would love it if the Tar Heels did take home that trophy. Roy, though, cares about the NCAA tournament. I don't think Carolina can do enough to get a one seed, Sean. But in terms of trying to get that higher two seed, get maybe a placement in the South region, do you think that a potential win over a top 25 team like Florida State, that this is one that actually could have some pretty big importance and impact when it comes to later on when the actual tournament seeding starts? Uh, I think it'll definitely, you know, given FSU's rank and and probably a potential four seed for them, it'll it'll have great importance. You you put the Gonzaga victory against a potential one seed and the Duke victory against a potential one seed. And man, if you could just put that Virginia one that they had uh you know the other week, I think that would have been huge. But yeah, you had another big win against a ranked opponent. Uh and then you get Syracuse at home, which, you know, one you know, they, with Ty's battle, they they could pull the upset, but one you would expect uh, Carolina to get. And then they go on the road to Clemson at BC. Once again, going on the road is always difficult, but I would expect and hope two wins out of that. And then you come home for Duke. Uh, you know, when they're, when you're entering ACC play right now, UNC, Duke, and UVA, um, all with, with two losses. And Duke has a tiebreaker over UVA. UVA has a tiebreaker over UNC. It's going to be hard for them to get that one seed and and win the regular season. But if they could do that and avoid, you know, one of those two teams until the end, I think that would be very beneficial. Uh, You know, in terms of the ACC, there's those three teams and, you know, Louisville is a good team and you have Syracuse, Virginia tech, but none of those teams really scare you. So if you could somehow avoid those teams and get that one seed, that would be huge, but that is going to be difficult to do. Just looking at, at the schedule, Um, you know, UVA has a good chance to run the table and, uh, obviously Carolina with Florida state coming back in, in town this week. And then Duke in a few weeks still have some, some tough games, but yeah, this would be a, a huge kind of resume win, especially going back to back with Duke and Florida state. Um, and, and I think would set them up well for the, the tournament. And we saw it last year, they played at Charlotte in the, in the first round and that didn't, didn't matter much in the, in the second round. So it's all about matchups, but, ideally getting that higher seed and, and getting that, that better matchup in, in that either second round or in the, um, you know, sweet 16 elite eight. Yeah. So the, the final four spots, and I actually looked it up while, while you were talking there, Sean. So the South is in Louisville and the East is in Washington, DC. So to me, you know, that, that Louisville spot would be ideal, except if Kentucky is the number one seed, because there's some talk about that after they beat Tennessee. But, you know, I think that between the two of them, Louisville or D.C., D.C. is probably closer geographically. But I think that that's probably where one of Virginia or Duke would be shipped to. 
So I don't know. I think to me, what would be very important is that the Tar Heels avoid that situation where they could be playing in Kentucky with Kentucky as a number one seed. So I think that's where just building the resume has to be paramount. Yeah, you never know what will happen on Selection Sunday. But, you know, what about them coming out west? Um, you know, mm-hmm. I know you have to anticipate Gonzaga is probably not going to lose in, uh, in the West Coast Conference. So they're going to have that um, one seed in the west pretty much locked up. Those games will be in Anaheim and, and sure, Gonzaga will travel. But, um, you know, UNC, it's always hard to beat a team twice. But I think. Uh, you know, would you rather play Kentucky and Louisville or, or Gonzaga out West? And I think last year, the West Coast uh, region was the easiest. It just happened that, you know, they got a really bad matchup uh, for them in Texas A&M in that second round. But if they got past that, they're out in L.A. and, you know, they have a, a Michigan team that was different than the one they stomped earlier. But, you know, you saw Florida State get to the Elite Eight. So I think that, you know, maybe that West Coast region could be, um, you know, a goldmine uh, for mm-hmm. them. But at the same time, maybe there is a, a number one seed. You know, they beat Duke again and get another victory over a Duke UVA and a few teams lose. I, I think that would be tough given their early season losses, but it's not out of the, you know, the the realm of of options down the road. Well, let's hope that Carolina does pad the resume a little bit by beating the Seminoles convincingly at home on Saturday. You know, I I think I have been more afraid of of FSU teams in the past, Sean. It's going to be a tough one, I feel. But ultimately, I think Carolina does have the weapons to pull it out. Let's wrap up the podcast, though, by some recruiting news. I know that this is your favorite part of any podcast, Sean. So let's talk about Precious Achua. I hope I pronounced his last name correctly there. It was just announced today, actually, we are recording this on Thursday night, that Precious is going to be visiting Carolina for the Duke game. He is a five-star forward. I watched a few videos of him before we did the podcast, Sean, and, I mean, I was impressed, but you actually got the chance to watch him live earlier in the spring. So what is your take on Precious as a five-star recruit and then where do you see the Tar Heels being at in terms of a potential favorite for him or just where would you put them amongst his finalist group of schools right now? Sure well well, real quick um, would love to get your initial thoughts on you know watching him on video and, and what you kind of thought right off the bat. Okay. Well, what I saw is just someone that is very smooth and athletic because I think he mentioned that, you know, growing up, he was mostly a soccer player. And then his brother, um, God's Gift, I think he the, the name is, um, who played at St. John's, you know, he was kind of the the driving factor behind Precious deciding to play basketball. But you can just tell that, man, with the way that he is able to move, he's very light on his feet. His shooting is is serviceable. I think that that's definitely an area that he would need to work on. But when you look at it, I mean, he's just got a lot of the potential and attributes that I think Roy Williams loves to have in his wings. He's He's a very good defender. He is a hustle kid. And that's just kind of what I saw just from maybe watching 10, 15 minutes of of film and obviously those were highlights but that's just what i took away does that match up with what you saw when you watched him live yeah uh so i i got to watch him i mean this is going back a while in 
person. Uh, it's been since the, the Dallas Spring AU tournaments. Uh, I've seen him on TV a few times with, with Mount Mount Verde um, or Mount Verde. But yeah, I think you, you definitely hit it. You hit it pretty correctly. He's six nine, a really lanky forward, so it kind of has that size and length that will entice uh, you know the the, the mock draft crowd uh, next season. Uh, you know, I think his his shooting is definitely a, an area of improvement. Uh, you know, did not have a good good shooting year on the AAU circuit, and definitely not one of his strengths. But he can definitely play on the perimeter um, and and can finish well at the basket good athlete um and that's going to be his top trait is his athleticism but you know if if you were to imagine him in a carolina uniform you know i think he could, could play a few positions would definitely work out well running the break and, and catching alley-oops and slashing of the basket you know in, in terms of him setting a visit i i I'll have to say i was surprised that that was set uh unc in kansas getting a visit if i had to put a Put the the money I won on on the UNC money line last night. I would I would put it on on Kansas. Um, but once again, getting a player like this on campus and especially for for the Duke game is is definitely a a big step in the right direction. Uh, I wouldn't go too crazy with that in terms of expectations. Uh, I think it'll still be uh, you know a challenge to to get him, but. Anytime you can get a six nine athletic guy to, to come visit, that's that's big news, and you know we'll see what what can happen down the road. Yeah, and I think visiting for the Duke game is also huge. And I mean, it's a game that Carolina has seen in the past. Recruits will come to it that ultimately did not end up selecting <laughs> the Tar Heels. But at the same yep. time, if you're going to make a big impression on a recruit, there's nothing bigger than that game from a Carolina perspective in my opinion yeah i mean you know I, i'm flashing back to andrew wiggins and rashad vaughn and, and some of those guys uh that that came and there were high expectations and they ended up going different directions but yes yeah, so if you're gonna gonna have any recruit at a game you know just that atmosphere and how loud the crowd is and it, just the the intensity can't really be matched uh you know across college basketball i would say and when you're looking at the recruiting landscape UNC is still after Cole Anthony. Uh, you know, that one's been pretty tight to the vest, and we don't really know what will happen with, with Kobe next year. So there's a lot of question marks, but at the same time, you are you know for a fact you're losing Kenny, you're losing Cam, uh, you're losing Luke, and, you know, so that kind of, you know, and most likely Nasir Little. So, you know, that leaves you with Brandon Robinson. Uh, you know, I think he'll be be ready to step up, but at the same time, uh, definitely need a, an influx of talent, whether it's from one or two uh, late recruits or, you know, a potential grad transfer. So, you know, it's definitely big news to get them, get them on. I, I would just keep expectations uh, low, you know, knowing that it's, it's UNC in Kansas and uh, maybe what Kansas has, has done or not done in the past. But, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll see what happens and can't go wrong with a 6'9 athlete visiting. Yeah, I think that he would definitely solve that hole in the backup power forward, backup small forward spot, just from what I saw, Sean. I mean, the outside shooting would be a concern, 
But I think with the guys that Carolina has coming back, if you add his ability to really play defense locked down, I think that would really help shape the identity of what I feel like Roy Williams will try to install in his team next year. And as you mentioned, when he's on the break, he can absolutely finish in traffic. So I think that was about it, man. Now, for those who are listening maybe for the first time and may not be aware of it, you do have your podcast, Sean, the Sean Mo Hoops podcast. Strongly encourage everybody to go listen to that one. Although I am going to give you a little bit of some, some crap here, man, because I think it was a podcast that you titled about a month ago, Can Anybody Beat Duke? after they came back from being down like 23 at Louisville. And, uh, you know, as we saw last night, man, one team can beat Duke, and that is the Tar Heels. So just going to rib you a little bit there, buddy. But oh. it's all right. You know, we all make mistakes. You, but. you know, well, for that one, I mean, it, it could have been a little bit of a re- reverse jinx. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, uh, oh, it, was, uh-huh, uh-huh. It, it was actually recorded during – so when I finished recording, they were still down 20. And the whole premise was, you know, they came off – we're looking really good against UVA and really making UVA just look like a JV team. Uh, so at that point, you know, I thought they were the best team in the country, but uh, at the same time, they've been let off the hook a few times in, in ACC play. So uh, I thought there was a little discrepancy of, you know, what the media was saying of here's this great team coming into the UNC game and here's reality where they could easily ha- have had, uh, you know, three, four losses in, in ACC play. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the title was a little wrong, but, um, hopefully we'll be having Scott Phillips who most Carolina or inside Carolina subscribers should know from all the recruiting articles he pumps out, but I'm hoping to have him on, on Friday and, uh, hopefully some good guests, uh, as, as the college basketball season, uh, winds up. Nice. And so where can people follow you at on social media, Sean? So that way they can get the updates on when those podcasts are dropping and just to see what you've got to say on the huge number of recruits that, that you were able to watch throughout the year, both at the tournaments and just being out there in California. Yeah. Uh, Shamo Hoops Twitter handle and shamohoops.com and definitely appreciate you having me on and, and getting to one, watch the victory yesterday and, and rehash it today. And now I'm, I'm off to watch some uh, Pac-12 hoops. So definitely a downgrade in, in basketball from the ACC to the, the Pac-12, but uh, still enjoyable to get to go you know, watch games in person. Definitely, man. Well, look, it is my pleasure. And hopefully we'll get you on again uh, before the actual ACC and, and NCAA tournament starts. Try to get like Sherelle on here. Unfortunately, he was unavailable tonight. But um, just try to do a big roundtable discussion, man, because we love the insight. And we'll go ahead and call it there, man. So have a good one. And we'll talk again. OK. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.